Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. I think it's fair to say that we get it. Our city is popular. Downtown will be jam-packed this weekend. New stores and shops are popping up and drive anywhere in the city. You'll see housing developments fresh with that new apartment smell. Who is going to live in those? Even with all the development, it's fair to ask, is there enough housing to meet the demand? It's estimated 80 people a day are moving here. But while we're at it, what about the people who are already here? That's coming up later this hour. But first, this week's Nashville Scene cover story focuses on a few members of the unhoused community in Madison. In addition to being without a home, some are also battling opioid addiction. And as we've talked about before on this show, the process for getting assistance can be long and complicated. There's a group of neighbors working to help, and it all starts by building trust. The Scene story was written by Brittany McKenna, and she joins us now. Brittany, thanks for joining us, and welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Great to have you. So tell me, how did you find this story? Um, a couple months ago, a friend of mine uh, who, in the, if you've read the story, is under the name Mother Hubbard, as he likes to do his work anonymously. Uh, he gave me a call, told me that he had spent the last several months doing some just really you know, grassroots, on-the-ground work among the unhoused community in his neighborhood in Madison. And he asked me if I thought there was a story there. And um, I went along with him for several of his kind of runs around the Madison area to you know, meet with some of the folks he was helping. And it became very evident very quickly that there was a story. Um, there was there are a lot of stories going on there. And um, I pitched it to the scene. They were on board, and that's how it worked. Now, this is a departure from what you normally write about, right? Uh, very much, yes. Yeah, I typically do, uh, I cover music, um, you know, for the scene and for some other outlets. So this was definitely outside of my wheelhouse, for sure. What was it like for you as you were going around Madison to meet people? Well, it was, um, it was a lot of things. It was, it was emotional. To, for one thing, um, just to, you know, meet these people, uh, grow to care for them, hear about the struggles that they've been through, um, and then um, to have to, to 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 be trusted with those stories and to try to shape them into something that um, was honest and also compassionate felt. Um, it was just a different kind of pressure that I'm than I'm used to feeling. You know, I feel pressure in the other work I do, but it just felt so important to really get this right. Um, and and yeah, it was it was a learning experience, um, and one I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to do. Tell, tell me a little bit about the folks you met. So I, I got to meet a lot more people than our than we had room for in the story. Um, but the the handful of people that you do meet when you read the story. Um, are fairly emblematic of a lot of the stories that I heard throughout my time um, spent in Madison. Um, you know, Charlie, for example, um, is addicted to opioids. Um, he has close family who, you know, they've been trying to help him get into treatment. Um, he would like to be in treatment. 
there are a lot of barriers, obstacles, you know, that make it difficult for a lot of people to be able to do that. Um, but you really, um, you know, one thing I was struck by and that, you know, I think is important for people to realize is you really meet people from all walks of life, um, yeah. all ages, uh, all backgrounds, you know, people, one man I met had been uh, a chef for 30 years in, you know, nice hotels and fell on some hard times. And he has been experiencing homelessness for nearly a decade now. Um, that was one of the more striking things for me was just the, the, the breadth of the types of people that you encounter in this community. You know, aside from the pressures of working on the article, explain to me what it's like to talk to a person. You hear their story, you build this bond, but you know, you may never see them again. That's hard. Um, it is hard because you, you know, you get invested really quickly, particularly, um, and, and, and the friend of mine who helped me, you know, meet a lot of these folks, Mother Hubbard, um, he, he did a lot of the legwork in building trust with the people I was able to meet um, because, you know, these are really difficult painful stories that they're sharing and you know I'm, I'm virtually a stranger to them um so it was i felt very touched that they trusted me with their stories um i tried to you know provide an environment that wasn't judgmental um that you know felt open and safe for them to share um you know even the the darker parts of their stories um but yeah, the element of, you know, not knowing if you're going to see them again. I mean, there was after one of the photo shoots for the story, um, a woman who is featured in some of the photos actually overdosed, um, died mm. and was revived with Narcan in an ambulance on her way to Skyline. And that was, you know, just a couple hours after she'd had her photograph taken. And that is unfortunately all too common. And, you know, it's it's difficult. You know, your story really talks about the realities of the unhoused community that they face compared to compared to the stereotypes that they're challenged with. As you met people, you got to learn about them and what led to their current situation. What did you learn about yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think one thing, and, and I, I realize this to a degree, but I understand it to a much greater degree now, um, there are just so many things in my life that I take for granted and that I think a lot of us do. Um, you know, having reliable access to a phone, having reliable access to safe and convenient transportation. Um, of course, having a roof over my head. Um, but just hearing, you know, uh, for example, Sarah in the story, her stories that she told me about try just desperately trying to get a job. Um, and she was not able to because she had a felony shoplifting charge on her record. And it's just such a, a vicious cycle that people find themselves in. Um, you know, what does that tell you about like the current system in, current systems in place and how effective they actually are? Well, um, I personally don't believe a lot of them are very effective. Um, you know, there was a law passed in Tennessee last year that made camping on public lands a felony, um, which, you know, in effect makes home being homeless a felony. Um, if you have a felony on your record, you pretty much cannot get a job anywhere. So, you know, 
it becomes very difficult very quickly. Um, you know, you, you miss, make one misstep and you're set, you know, you could be set back, um, mm. back to where you started. And it's, it's really, it, that was what I was struck by the most was just how hard so many people were trying to get out of this cycle, but how difficult the system itself makes it to do that. You mentioned the person who introduced you to the community is an, an outreach worker, a friend of yours, mm -hmm. affe affectionately known as Mother Hubbard yes. to the community. <laughs> what did Mother Hubbard tell you about why they do this work? So when we had our first conversation on the phone a couple months ago, he told me that it really began for him when he met um, a young couple experiencing homelessness and they, they set up their camp um, basically adjacent to his backyard. And, you know, living in Madison, I mean, you can just drive up and down Gallatin. You see um, the degree of poverty. You see the the breadth of the community. And I think that he just had a moment of, I can't watch, sit by and idly watch this anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so he and some friends have started a wonderful grassroots organization called The Beat, B-E-A-T, um, they go out, they meet people, they get, you know, they, they really get their hands dirty and get to know people, get to know what they really need um, and do their best to give that to them on an individual level in a way that um, seems to, to work very well and that I found very inspiring. What did the people you met tell you about the stereotypes they face? That was one of the hardest parts of the conversations I had. Um, you know, Billy in the story talked about, um, you know, just feeling like people look at him like he is a, quote, piece of well, four-letter word. I'm not sure I can say on the radio. No, but um, <laughs> I get you. Yeah. And um, other people, you know, they, they told similar stories. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of shame that I encountered. Um, there's a lot of, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. But... For some of us and for people experiencing homelessness, those mistakes um, are such higher stakes. Mm. And a lot of people really take that very deeply personal. And that was hard to see. Has this inspired you to do more stories on the unhoused community? And if so, what are you keeping an eye on? Um, I would love to. You know, I, uh, I haven't chatted with the scene about this yet, but I'd love to, you know, not necessarily have this be a series, but do some follow-ups. Um, you know, a couple things I feel particularly interested in are, um, you know, maybe joining the beat on a day that they do, that they are able to check someone into a treatment facility, um, you know, because that is just that day is difficult itself too. Um, you know, sometimes people feel a little spooked and maybe, mm -hmm. maybe the day comes and they start to, you know, their feet get cold. Um, I'd like to see what that looks like. So that's something that I would like to follow up on. Um, and also, you know, I think the the opi opioid element of it is really compelling to me in a number of ways. Um, you know, personally, I've lost, you know, two members of my extended family over the last few years to overdoses. And I have friends who have loved ones experiencing addiction. Um, you know, I don't think many of us haven't been touched by the opioid epidemic. And um, it's it, it, it's something that I've really connected to and, and would like to keep keep on. 
Brittany McKenna is a writer whose article, The Other Nashville, is the cover story for the Nashville scene. You can find the link to her story on this episode's web post at thisisnashville.org. Brittany, thanks for being here, and thank you for your reporting. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue to talk about housing as we explore new housing developments and learn who is moving into these new builds. Are you moving? Where are you going? And why? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Apartment hunting is not easy. Sure, some people have great luck in finding a cool space quickly. But if you're like me, it takes a while to find the right place at the right price. With housing in high demand, developers are hoping to fill the needs of people looking to move, whether that's across town or cross country. What is it like out there for newcomers? Is there enough new development to keep pace? My guest, my next guest, is a relatively new Nashvilleian who moved to town less than a year ago. I'd like to welcome Germantown resident Jenica Astleford to the show. Jenica, thanks for joining us and welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Great to have you with us. So you've been living here for about a year. Where did you move from? Yeah, it's actually kind of full circle that today I'm joining you guys. I actually moved here a year ago today. Um, I moved from Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, just that metro area. Well, congratulations and welcome to town on your year anniversary. Tell me this, why did you want to leave Minneapolis? Um, You know, I was just at a point in my life where um, I was about to be 30 and, you know, professionally things were going great. Um, We were still in a remote work setting, so I felt more comfortable asking my uh, employer if they'd be comfortable with me moving across the country, essentially. Um, And I was looking at a few different states. Um, Shockingly, I don't know if you can believe it or not, but Minnesota is pretty cold. So I was hoping to get more Southern. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. They're still dealing with snow today. So, Mm. um, so yeah, so I um, really just thought, you know, I've lived in Minnesota my whole life. If I'm going to move, there's no better time to do it than now. And um, Minnesota in the past, you know, three years, um, not as a surprise to anybody, has gone through some changes as a community and some struggles. And um, I just felt, you know, I'm only young once. And so this is probably the best time for me to go out and try something new. So why Nashville? Well, why not Nashville? <laughs> no. uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I actually had never visited Nashville before I moved here. Um, I had flown in a couple times, but just went out to Murfreesboro as I do have a cousin that lives there and then one that does live in Nashville. So I was looking at, you know, Florida, Texas, Arizona and Tennessee and ultimately chose Nashville because Greenery wise, it's pretty similar to Minnesota. Um, I know it's very outdoorsy. There's a lot of hiking. Um, it's also, you know, very um, high there. I mean, there's many great churches around here. That was a driving factor. But probably the biggest part was that I did know at least a couple people here. So the move was going to be a little bit easier. What was it like trying to find out what you wanted in a place to live here? 
Oh goodness. I had no idea where to start. I didn't know, you know, every neighborhood in every city is so different. Um, it's what makes every place unique and what drives people to want to live there versus other neighborhoods. So um, I knew that was the case in Minneapolis. So trying to figure out which neighborhood and suburb in, um, you know, around Nashville for, was best for me was a little tough. Um, so I really went with what my cousin, um, what her experience was, and she was out in Bellevue and wanted to stay in that area. And, um, I had heard that, you know, it was a, it was a great place to be safety wise. There were many, um, great communities there. Um, and so ultimately I just more so went with what her recommendation was and I didn't even tour the place before I moved there. Um, and yeah, Bellevue was a great neighborhood, but I'm really excited to be in Germantown. Okay, one number that we've heard recently is an estimated 80 people a day moving to Nashville. My next guests are here here to help us understand that number and some others as well. Jade Utley is a real estate agent and Bishoy McHale is the vice president of research with the Nashville Chamber of Commerce. Jade Bishoy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Jade, let me ask you, what is the rental market in Nashville like these days? Well, the rental market these days uh, is amazing. I mean, 3.6% this time last year. Now it's up to uh, 4.5. So the rental market is is great. I say um, if you're looking to come to Nashville, you definitely can find a, a, a nice, affordable place to live. Why do you think the demand for apartments is going up? Because of the tourism, we have a thriving tourism here in the in, in Nashville. The industry is amazing. Um, we got popular neighborhoods like the Gulch and East Nashville. So, I would say you know people want to come here, you know, to to live in country music. This is Nashville. You know, I, I love it here, and the people that that comes here, they'll love it as well. Okay, so from your experience, who was moving here? Well, from my experience, I have a lot of people coming from the West Coast. A lot of West Coast people are coming here, moving here. Um, first time home buyers as well. Uh, they want to come here to, to to live the life. They want they want to come here to live the life. And uh, Nashville is great. I mean, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. A lot of people, you know, I can go back and forth with individuals on that, but I don't see it it, it, it slowing down at all. I say, come to Nashville and let's let's go. I'm curious. I have to ask you this. Out of all of your clients that you've worked with, how many times have they mentioned Dolly Parton? <laughs> uh, none. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't heard any anybody mention Dolly Parton. Okay. But they did they did mention the Titans and and, and of course the the soccer the soccer team. So okay. those are those are pluses. We yes. got we got sports fans coming to town. Now, Bishoya, yes. the Chamber of Commerce collects data on who's moving here. Where do you all get the 80 people per day number that's listed on your website? So that data is actually collected from the U.S. Census Bureau. So if you look at population changes and then you take out natural population changes, births, deaths, and you look at the the population increase, that number is essentially the migration that's occurring uh, in the region. And that accounts for the not just Davidson County, but the counties surrounding it as well. Mm. So what do we know about the people who are moving to Nashville? So we see an increase, uh, a significant increase in the young professional demographic. So if you look at the 25 to 44 age group, um, in the past five years, you've seen a significant increase, about 30% of that specific demographic. And so 
that would be some partially, would you liken that to the new companies who are mo- moving here? How That's how they play into this? It, some of it could be that, where you do have some companies, um, you know, that are coming here and they're bringing a lot of jobs with them. And so that attracts some of the young talent for sure. Okay. Now, now, Jenica, you are some of that young professional talent. You moved to Germantown. Why did you decide to move to Germantown? Yeah, you know, I well, like I mentioned, I was out in Bellevue, and um, I did feel like that was maybe a little bit more family-oriented, um, a little bit uh, not as connected to those maybe my age or of the similar interests. And um, I, I, I kind of funny, but uh, there's not many, many side. There aren't many sidewalks out there, and I mm-hmm. uh, I love to be able to walk around. I love I typically drive to the greenways on the weekends. Um, and I have a dog, so we just were outside all the time. So I know Germantown, East Nashville, um, I was looking at those two neighborhoods and ultimately chose Germantown because of my church is over here. And, um, also just the restaurants and, um, you know, breweries over here, just so many fun, fun things to do for someone around my age. Is it affordable for you? Um, I definitely had to go above my budget. Um, and even just compared to a year ago, or I guess maybe a little over a year ago when I was originally looking to move here and at rent prices, um, things have definitely increased. Um, and so I, I did have to go above budget. Um, I kind of anticipated that and it's been a better move for me overall, but, um, it is still shocking that I could afford a pretty nice mortgage, uh, for the rent that I pay. Are you living in a new building? It's not new. No, um, I would say it's more modern. Um, it, it definitely looks updated. They're always making updates to it. Um, and it definitely has less issues than my first place did, which um, like maintenance issues, which is a really hard thing to know when um, when you are looking for a place to rent or buy even. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're talking this hour about new housing in our city and who's moving here with Jenica Astleford, Jade Utley, and Beshoy McHale. Tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. Now, Jade, you are renting and selling apartments to people. I'm curious about the number of people who are looking to live in a new building. How many folks want to live in something new? Well, a lot of people want to live in, in something new due to uh, the lower maintenance, uh, you know, the modern, the more modern look. And the majority of the new builds that are being built are in um, nice areas, you know, convenient areas close to downtown, close to the to, to the colleges and whatnot. So uh, I have a fair uh, a number amount of people that, that want to live into the new builds. Are they would you say that they have a desire to live in luxury homes? Yes. Absolutely. That actually brings people here. I mean, they want that California feel. They want the Vegas feel. And and Nashville is, you know, they call Nashville Nash Vegas for a reason. I mean, here we are. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we know that not everyone could afford high-end places. Bishoy, how do luxury homes or high-end homes and apartments, how do they affect the rest of the housing market? I think what we need to do is look at kind of the housing supply for all income levels. And, you know, it's great that we're building and developing, but we also need to develop and build housing that's more affordable for for other, um, you know, um, residents of different socioeconomic backgrounds, for sure. So what does, 
what what does the Nashville Chamber of Commerce, what is their recommended living wage for a person who wants to live in our city today? So that's a very good question, very difficult question to answer. Um, I don't know if there's so much a number um, because, you know, different incomes, um, different people can have different incomes. And so I don't know if we'd recommend a specific number right now where, you know, you have to make this much um, to live. I think we look at it in terms of costs. Certainly we're feeling uh, the rising housing costs affect a lot of people. Um, and that's something that we do want to take into account and look at. Okay. We have more numbers as well. We got a tweet at This Is Nashville from Ashley, Ashley Batchelor. She says, quote, does you, do you, Bishoy, do you have an idea on the number of people who are leaving the county as well? So we do. So for Davidson County, we saw um, a loss in population. Certainly, um, you know, housing, I think, plays a factor into that. And you see them kind of go into the surrounding counties where housing is a little bit more affordable, for sure. So we have seen a loss kind of in the core, but overall the region has has increased in population. Are people leaving the state entirely? I don't think so. I think people are staying either within the state or within the Middle Tennessee region. Now, Jenica, I know you just moved into your place and you love it, but did you have a desire to buy a place as opposed to renting? Yes, 1,000%. You know, for me, I've been looking to buy for probably the last three or four years. Um, And it's something common that I hear among a lot of millennials, um, especially those who don't, who aren't fortunate to be able to maybe live with family or friends to save up that money, you know, even having a really great career um, financially um, or salary wise. um, I would say the hardest part is just getting the down payment and the closing costs. I know that they're are you know first time home home buyer programs out there and um, resources available, but um, it, it's kind of hard to know exactly where all of those are, who to go to, and also um, even with those, sometimes you can't get that um, large payment on the front end covered. But as we know, um, we're, we're all out here paying you know high rent prices and affording the same or paying more than someone's mortgage, so it definitely is attractive to purchase. Would you consider buying a place in the future? Oh, 1000%. I actually did look before I rented um, my current place, but everywhere, you know, for two bedroom, three bedroom, it seemed to be more above that 350 into that $400,000 range. And, um, you know, I didn't do a ton of research, but I just thought, okay, maybe this isn't my time yet, um, especially not having additional family or friends around here that could maybe help me with some of those repairs or just understanding of, you know, leading into that purchase. Well, Jade, what would you recommend for someone in Jenica's position? Well, what I would recommend for Jenica is just to, like, do your research, uh, contact a lender, and the lender will would navigate you through that whole process as far as getting down payment assistance um, and things like that. The lender is, is definitely your best friend if you're actually looking you know, to purchase. But as a real estate agent, are you familiar with some of the first-time homebuyer programs out there? Yes, I am. They have, they have several um, now that you can hold on to. Like I said, just contact the lender. They have uh, multiple ones. They have a uh, minority want they have minority they have uh, uh ones for students uh, it's just different it's multiple ways to 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 do your down payment assistance so uh just contact the lender and and go from there i'm curious about small families Bishoy, 
What are the housing options for them currently in Davidson County? Um, I think we're seeing uh, an increase in um, multifamily units um, in Davidson County. So I think the options for them have been increasing recently with the growth that's happening. Where do you think the housing market's headed? Um, I think it's headed in a great direction. If you look at a report by um, PricewaterhouseCoopers, who partnered with ULI, they have an emerging trends report in real estate. And Nashville was the number one metro area two years in a row for 2022 and 2023. So I think overall it's looking strong. Jade, where do you think the housing market is headed? Yes, absolutely. I definitely agree with him with that. So, uh, for instance, my personal uh, experience, the last home I sold, um, I had multiple offers and I had the home under contract within 48 hours mm. and it sold and it sold well over the asking price. It went over 20,000 over the asking price. So it was so the house and market is definitely, definitely me, going in a great direction. So is now the perfect time to buy or sell in Nashville? I would say, I would say buy, I would say go ahead and buy and get you a piece, get you an asset and, and go from there. Nashville is a great place to live. And I actually, you know, like I said, bye, bye, bye. That is Jade Utley, real estate agent. He was joined by new Nashvillian Jenica Astleford from Germantown and Bishoy McHale, VP of Research with the Nashville Chamber of Commerce. Thanks to you all for joining us today. Appreciate having you on. Thank you so much. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll examine the impact of new housing units popping up all over the city. And what does that mean for the people who already live here? What has your housing search been like? Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been discussing new housing in our city and learning about some of the developments that are appearing all over town, many of which are being filled by new arrivals to Nashville. But what about the people in need of housing who are already here? For more on that, I'd like to introduce my next guest. Kay Bowers co-chairs the Affordable Housing Task Force of the Nashville of Nashville Organized for Action and Hope, also known as NOAA. She's also on the board of commissioners for the Metropolitan Development of the, and Housing Agency, and she is part of the Mayor's Housing Task Force and also a retired exec in affordable housing. In short, she knows what she's talking about. Kay, thanks for joining us. Welcome to This is Nashville. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Pleasure to have you. So, you know, as I noted, you've been in housing for decades and you know your stuff. When you look at the new builds coming up all over the city, what comes to your mind? Um, it's the cost, either the cost to rent or the, or the cost to buy compared to uh, the wages uh, that Nashvillians are making. And therein lies the gap. Um, in addition to that, it's the dramatic increase in the cost. So let me give you a couple of examples. Between March of 2018 and March of 2022, the median sales price for a home increased 55%. 
Mm. Between uh, quarter four of 2019 and quarter four of 2021, the apartment rent in Nashville increased 63%. Wow. And during that time, our wages went up 12%. So if you can get a picture in your head of those numbers and kind of line them out, that shows you the pressures that Nashvillians are feeling around housing cost. And what I try to do when I talk about these things is help people get a picture in their mind of who these pressures are affecting. And um, last week at the council meeting, a teacher got up and spoke. And before she started her day as a teacher, she started her day at Starbucks because of high housing costs. When we go in to get our coffee at our coffee shops or twice dailies, or we want to go into our pharmacies and drugstores, I ask people to think about what their wages are. You can go to Kroger's and see their wages. And so many of the people that our city depends upon and we depend upon as individuals and families are struggling under this burden of high housing cost. Mm -hmm. And many have left and the chamber's data in fact shows that they've left the county. So things may look good for the region, but they've left, they've left the county um, uh, to in seek of more affordable places to live. And this puts pressure on our businesses in trying to keep and retain workers. And in fact, the president and CEO of the chamber, Ralph Schultz, said to me, businesses report that this is one of their greatest challenges in keeping workers. Uh, it's high housing costs. And behind that is child care. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd like to introduce my next guest, Greg Claxton, who is with the Metro Planning Department. Greg, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So what are some of the housing trends that you're seeing in the data? Sure. So, you know, I think one of the big things that we're seeing is, um, you know, a lot of interest in uh, demand for living in Davidson County. Uh, we tend to see kind of younger folks moving in, um, maybe starting families. So, you know, um, Mikhail mentioned kind of the the migration numbers. We also see, you know, a lot of births happening in the, in the county. And so kind of our population growing that way. And then, you know, for the past 10 or 20 years, we also see kind of families moving out. And so small households moving in, looking for kind of small household amenities, walkable uh, areas, restaurants, that kind of thing. And then kind of, at, you know, as they have families and, and, and look for a different set of amenities, moving out of the urban core, or moving to, to those neighborhoods like Bellevue or Antioch um, or out of the county. Um, we also seen in the last couple of years a response to the pandemic where people are looking for kind of more housing per person. Hmm. Um, so we see a lot of, especially people who are working from home, maybe kind of doing with fewer roommates or maybe moving out from uh, living with their parents or living with other roommates and kind of having more space on their own. And that's led to some of the sharp price increases that Kay mentioned of just people consuming more, more housing. You know, we keep hearing a lot about people moving here each day, about 80 folks. Mm -hmm. We also hear that many of them are moving out of state. We, you all keep track of the numbers. So from what you discovered, how many people are moving to the city from outside of Tennessee? Sure. So um, it's I don't have it in sort of a numbers per day kind of format. Um, what I've looked at is 
um, everyone. So we're looking at kind of sense, the Census Bureau data, which is uh, Vishoy's data as well, um, and looking at like in 2021, everyone who lived in a different place than they did a year prior. Um, and so that's about 65,000 people. So about 10% of the county moves every year. Um, about half of those just moved within the county. So most right. people making moves are within Davidson. About 25% is from outside of ten or from elsewhere in Tennessee, and then about 25% from outside of Tennessee. Okay. And those numbers are kind of the same whether you're looking at new homes, whether you're looking at large apartment buildings. They move around a little bit, but it's mostly kind of people moving within the county and within the region. What does that tell you about? housing in Davidson County with so many people moving within the county to mm. other places. Sure. I mean, a lot of that is just kind of people's life cycle. They form families. They kind of move out from their parents. They, you know, form new households like that. Um, their kids grow up. They're looking for a little bit more space. Um, or their kids move out to college or, or to start their own households. And so they're looking to downsize. And so you just see, like, throughout the housing market, people finding things that fit where they are in life. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that we see happening with the new construction, um, especially, you know, the, the shift to a lot of multifamily um, mm -hmm. is kind of matching our demographic trends a little bit better. You know, we are an aging society throughout the United States. And so a lot more people living alone, a lot more people kind of who may not want to maintain big yards anymore. And so for a lot of those folks, as well as for younger adults, you know, kind of multifamily in a walkable environment is kind of what they're looking for. Um, and as part of that, as people move throughout the county, like as they, they move kind of into those dense multifamily units, a lot of times what's happening is they're freeing up the homes that they were in before, a house with a yard, a small duplex, that kind of thing, for other folks to then move into. So it's, there's a lot of just flux throughout the county of people finding what works for them. Now, Greg was just talking about some folks wanting more space for fewer people, but Kay, what about folks? Mm -hmm. who, what about folks who are concerned about affordability? Well, the afford the affordability uh, piece is crucial uh, because of the even if a home is freed up, say it's a single family home, it's um, it's uh, people transition and they don't want to take care of a home anymore. Then that mo that home goes on the market, but it goes on the market at um, at prices uh, that are above what most of our workers and the data shows this uh, can't afford to pay because it's going to be market price. In many cases, it may be torn down um, and, you know, we may get too tall skinnies depending on the neighborhood that it's in. So the affordability factor to me is the real key. What's affordable for our workers uh, that we need and want in our county. Another colleague, uh, uh, Bishops at the Chamber, uh, used this phrase with me a while back. He said, we need income-aligned housing because the cost is where uh, the burden is. And, and so the market goes after maximum profit. That's that's the market. That's capitalism. But, but as a city, we, we should say to ourselves, we have this many workers. Here's the medium wages. We need these workers 
to provide the services that we want and need for our city to run and for our families to have quality lives. What are those wages of those workers? And then crunch the numbers <clears throat> and let Greg help and say, here's, here's what we need. And then we plan about how to go about that to bring it to life, to if existence. And that's really the strategic type of thinking uh, that we're trying to get to uh, with Greg's help and others in the housing division uh, in this city is to think in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, because even, you know, for those that move here and want to buy, uh, like our new friend from Minneapolis, down payment assistance programs uh, typically are restricted to people with certain income. So she she may want to buy, but the down payment programs that exist she may not are qualify only for people for that may make yeah yeah she won't may not qualify for them. So she may fall into that gap. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that we're trying to look at strategically. Um, uh, and more holistically in in this city and help our public officials to think in that way also. If you just because t- these silver silver bullet answers don't exist. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about the impact of housing availability on the folks who are already living here with Greg Claxton and Kay Bowers. Tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. Now, you know, Kay, I want to ask you briefly about the terms affordable housing and fair housing. How are those two different from each other? Well, yesterday I was having a conversation with Michaela, your colleague, and to try to get to her, what her thinking was, you're all thinking around this term fair housing. And she kept bringing up the the word equitable. What's equitable? You know, in my nerdy housing world, fair housing has a very specific definition. It has to do with what's legal and what's not Mm. in terms of landlord-tenant relationships and lending requirements. Um, So what what we really got to is a basic question that uh, we all should ask ourselves over and over Um, is it fair that so many of our people, our workers that we depend upon, like this teacher has to go to work at Starbucks before she starts her day as a teacher? Is it fair that uh, uh, 93% of the housing that's, that's been produced in the last seven to eight years has been luxury housing, but we, we haven't had enough of the housing that, Um, is affordable for our low and middle income workers that we depend on. Uh, We, you know, essential workers was the term used in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We we have all these essential workers, uh, but when you look at their uh, wages compared to the housing cost in, in Davidson County, is it fair uh, that so many of them are cost burden or doubling up with roommates or uh, doing whatever, working second jobs um, to be able to afford a roof over their head. And that's that's what I think uh, she was coming from in that type of 
thought process. Greg, let me ask you about this. You know, Kay was sharing us this story about a teacher. School starts early anyway. I was a former educator. I know what time I got up to get ready for school. Who shows up to work at Starbucks before their shift. So they're already up for hours, pretty tired, before they go and educate our kids, which any of, any of you with kids knows, in entertaining a classroom full of kids, you need a lot of energy for it. Let me just say that myself. How often are you at the city hearing about stories of people who have to do that just to afford their place to live here in the city and the county? Sure. So, you know, we've been having... I mean, the city's been struggling with affordability for um, certainly as long as I've been here, 11 years, you know, in different ways for quite a while uh, before that. Um, it was something we heard a lot about through kind of developing our general plan in, in 2015 called Nashville Next. Um, and it was a big theme for that. Um, you know, we hear about it when uh, kind of at, at planning commission meetings, people who are concerned about displacement, we hear about it kind of anytime we go out and work with the community of people, uh, maybe not as an extreme example as that, but people who are struggling with affordability, struggling to find a place to live. And honestly, we hear about it when we hire new folks. Like we have people that we've hired to join the planning department. They're excited to work in Nashville. They have a lot of skills that they want to bring to the city, um, but they're having trouble to find, you know, finding places to live as well. And so kind of the way that we look at, you know, kind of our work in planning for Nashville's long-term future is what can we do to prepare a city and have a city that is open and welcoming to everybody, where everyone can kind of find a spot that works for them. Mm. Whether you're looking for something downtown, whether you're making kind of the top of the income scale or at the bottom, you need to be able to find a place if you love Nashville. And so that's that's kind of how we approach thinking through all of the different folks who, who want to be here. Now, let me ask you, does more luxury housing have a trickle-down effect? So there, there is a lot of research around kind of the role that supply overall plays in managing affordability. And so it's the difference between kind of the affordability crisis that we have compared to the affordability crisis that Los, Los Angeles or New York City or San Francisco have where it's just out of control and there's like massive, massive overcrowding problems. What we see is that um, there's kind of new construction that comes onto the market, a new luxury apartment building. Um, somebody moves in there, they free up a spot. Someone moves in there, they free up spot, a spot. And so there's these chains of moves. And what we find is that on average, every new, uh, every 100 new units uh, frees up about 50 units that are in kind of the most uh, affordably priced parts of the, the the regional housing market. Now, that may not be immediately next to where the new development is. It could be kind of in the next county or another part of Davidson, but it's kind of all working together like that. Um, and so we do see a relationship between um, new market rate housing and affordably priced units. Mm. That's not the only strategy we take. I mean, you know, kind of with the planning department, there's limits in how we do zoning for affordability. Um, but we also have, as Kay mentioned, kind of the new housing team, the Barnes Fund that's been a part of the, the uh, department for – or been a part of Metro for a number of years where Metro has been increasingly the, increasing the resources that we put into subsidized housing, dedicated affordable housing so that we're trying to attack it from both sides, um, producing more units for, uh, at, at, at affordable price points as well as um, allowing the market to work to take the pressure off of that naturally occurring affordable housing. It appears that, that it's becoming more demanding to live in the city. Kay, what can be done to, yes. to help what can be done to help the folks 
who are living and working here to meet that demand that comes with living here? Well, in terms of um, policies, uh, first of all, um, the report that from the Mayor's Housing Task Force put together, and Greg Greg was a, was a part of this work, um, showed that, uh, and this was in the summer of 2021, we have a deficit of 52,000 units. We need 52,000 units. We need to pr be producing about 5,000 units a year uh, to begin to make up that deficit in housing that's affordable to low to moderate income people. So what? how much is being produced right now? So the numbers um, that I have um, with some of the programs in terms of property tax, of it's called uh, abatement or forgiveness, to developers that produce it, it's about uh, not quite two thousand units a year. So, uh, so we need three thousand more units to be able to come online. So, um, one thing that would help, it, like other cities have done, is to have a dedicated stream of revenue um, for the Barnes Housing Trust Fund, which provides housing for uh, renters whose incomes is is at 60% or below of AMI, which is which is quite frankly for a family of four, 50,000 and a one person household about 28,000. So dedicated revenue streams, uh, zoning changes, which are really hard because people are really particular about what they want and don't want in their neighborhood. Some of us use the term NIMBY and council member Allen uh, has been uh, is very well versed in the realities of that, yeah. but that allow for more middle housing, as it's called, uh, people with maybe properties where smaller uh, attached dwelling units. We're going to have to leave it there. I apologize. We have a long way to go, and we're sure to bring this topic up again. That is Kay Bowers, co-chair of NOAA's Affordable Housing Task Force. She was joined by Greg Claxton with the Metro Planning Department. Again, thank you both for being with us. Thank you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Geigel's Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tutto. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Maria Thompson and Odessa Kelly. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and let us know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Lake Alona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.